Okay, we are here today to talk about the star. What a relief after <laughs> after the devil in the tower. Here we are. And interestingly, it has a number of different stellar names. Um, it used to actually be called way back, even before Marseille, the earliest decks, it was called the stars. You know, with the plural. So, um, in the, in the Visconti deck, you can see it's, I think it's called Le Stelle, which means the stars. And it's also called the Blazing Star, the Star of the Magi, the Inclitum Sidus, which is the glorious star. And the hermetic titles are the Daughter of the Firmament and the Dweller Between the Waters. Are those two different systems? Those two names, or are they no, just it's two one, names? It's just That's, two names. Some of them, I don't. Mm-hmm. Some of them have. Two, I've been trying some to puzzle one. out why some cards have two names and some have one, and I've got a theory, but I'm not ready. Okay, I haven't quite formulated it yet, but I've got a spreadsheet I'll share with you someday. <laughs> oh my god! Now, when you work it out, please tell me. I need to uh, if, know <laughs> if I if I work it out. That's cool. That's but anyway, cool. this is one of my favorite cards as far as the title goes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Daughter of the Firmament. I mean, how beautiful is that? It's gorgeous. And yeah. so I know that there's the whole path discrepancy between Emperor and Star in the mm-hmm. various traditions. But we'll I do that. personally use Crowley's Star as hay on the path between uh Tiferet and uh, Hakma. Mm-hmm. And so daughter of the firmament, Hakma being the zodiac, mm-hmm. descending down to the sun, which is another star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a sun is a star. So when I think of daughter of the firmament, it makes me think of that. So mm-hmm. from the zodiac to, right. to, the, to the sun, yet another part of the zodiac. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the uh, other title, Dweller Between the Waters, that one's really neat because so the wa- the waters are referring to two types of water. So there's the the Sea of Bina. Mm-hmm. There's waters as you know that fertile the Black Sea, but then there's the waters of the Aether, if you will, like the Milky Way. Oh, oh, you know, I see like what you mean. so. There's yes. two types of water, and she's between them. Is that what he was ref- or is that what Yeah, I think that's what they're to? referring to mm-hmm. when they say between the waters. So between the so dark be- sea of Bina and, and, and the waters uh, of the Milky Way. Yes, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, I like yeah, that sort too. Sort of a dark stream and a light stream. Yeah. Hmm. So I, and that reminds you of the double glyph of Aquarius as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. The crypto water sign Aquarius, which is really an air sign. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so you, you see often on these cards, it's especially visible in the Thoth card where one cup is pouring down on her and one is pouring down on the earth and she's between them. She's between okay. these two types of water. I'm so glad that you uh, clarified that for me because I've always wondered what waters she was between. She was between. Yes. And, and, and I've also wondered, you, you know, can see the in, difference between the solar and the lunar cup. So that kind of helps. My, Tabula Mundi deck, mm-hmm. she's kneeling on the edge of the sea, mm-hmm. but then the starry firmament of the, you know, Milky Way is above her, and then she's, yeah. she's between. So, yeah. Same and thing is kind of shown here in Crowley's card, just in a different way. Because you also have like the solar and the lunar realm, you know, so there's the, you know, the higher up waters of the solar realm and then the sub Yeah, the waters, the, the waters, waters of the aether versus the waters of the earth, if right. you will. <laughs> right. So let's see, where shall we start first, Kabbalah or astrology? Let's start with astrology. Okay. So Aquarius is, as we were saying, an air sign, and yet uh, it has all these watery references. Mm, um, because Aquarius is the water bearer. The water bearer. That's right. Usually, the Ganymede or the cup bearer yeah. of the gods. Yeah. Uh, ruled by Saturn. Again, that's, again, air, air, water. Mm-hmm. So the waters of the aether, the waters of the air versus the waters of the, the actual actual waters of the earth. So, Yeah, that's such an interesting Think of Aquarius thing. being both a- an air sign, but the water bearer. Right, right. Or the idea that, you know, a rain cloud holds water in the sky aloft. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, Saturn rulership, um, and in the modern system, Uranus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, detriment of the sun. 
And then there is no fall or exaltation in Aquarius, mm. oddly enough, although sometimes people argue that Mercury is exalted in Aquarius, which is... I've heard that. I, but I can never sort of find the justification for it, so I've never really used it myself. Um, it does have a right feel to it, though, mm-hmm. because Aquarius is such a visionary mental sign that I could see Mercury yeah. being very well placed there. It passes the sniff test. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, speaking of air. Um, as you were saying, we have the Dark Sea of Bina. It's one of the sets of water. And Bina, of course, has that connection with Saturn, Saturn, right? Aquarius is January 21st to February 19th. And um, opposite Leo. And what's interesting about that is that the period when the full moon is in Aquarius is, of course, when the sun is in Leo, which was the time when the Nile would flood in the summer in Egypt and the, and the dog star Sirius would become vis- mm. visible. So you have sort of these connections between um, flooding the water and the star and the rising mm. of the star. Mm. And it also makes me think of the whole, the, the Leo Aquarius axis makes me think of the, the lion and the angel or the lion and yes. the woman or the lion, you know. That's right. Cause they're both fixed, right? And yeah. you've got, yeah. And the lion and the woman. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, so it's interesting to think about the, uh, the connections with air with this card, uh, like the magical weapon is the sensor, which is mm. a device for spreading incense through the yeah. air. Um, practically speaking, I kept getting this card last year, this injustice or adjustment over and mm. over and over both of these cards. And I think it had to do because last year I learned to podcast. So I was manipulating oh, the, air. the air. Yeah. Yeah. So I was on air manipulating cool. the air on, on the adjustment days, sound editing, and then broadcasting and talking about it and publicizing on the days I got the star card. So it was kind of an interesting, you know, connection with air in that sense. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. even the radio waves or air waves That's makes me think of Aquarius and the, you know, yeah. the, electricity or you know (laughs) waveforms that's right that's right you know and the idea that they uh there's um a central point that radiates out these the signal even the the glyph of aquarius looks like yes looks like radio waves waves or airwaves yeah or water waves so again you have air the type of air Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Air as water and water as water, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean there there is that connection between the two. Like when you when you're swimming or floating, it's it's as close as you'll ever get to flying, right? Mm. You know? Yep. Crowley calls that uh stream that's going from the cups the water of universal life. Is that a Crowley thing? Do you know what do you yeah, know about um, that? Well, Waters of universal life. Well, I, I, it's like the milk of the stars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That it reminds me of the idea that there's a certain fertility that goes with this card as well. Right. It's um, said to be, you know, milk, water, milk, blood, and oil, you know, the, all the t- forms of anointing fluids, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think in the weight card, there's this concept of pouring onto the land and pouring into the water that's, you know, to, to replenish the fertility of the land, the flooding of the Nile we have mm. as well. So this, you know, water is the giver of life. And in both cards, the uh, woman has one foot Mm-hmm. On land and one foot in the waters, in a sense. Um, yeah, and what does that tell us? Because temperance does that too. Yeah, I think it's a connection between the physical plane and the more subtle planes of, you know, the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ethereal. Yeah, between the worlds of Bria and Asiya, the daughter and the mother. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there, then again is your connection to primal and final hay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think of that with the, the two cups, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. The two hays, mm-hmm. the primal hay above and the, and the daughter hay below the mm-hmm. earth and the, you know, the water and the earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, let's go there. Let's start dealing with the Kabbalistic stuff, which is complicated because we have these two different correspondences. But as you can, See, there's a lot of connection to the hay um, mm. that I, you use. For I, I really, mm-hmm. I cannot 
even though I respect and I see some good <laughs> things about the other tradition, I just really cannot accept that the divine name would have two emperors in it. That just doesn't make sense to me at all because mm -hmm. it, it's father, mother, son, daughter. And so, mm -hmm. and hey is a feminine letter and the star is one form of many goddesses. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it just makes so much perfect sense for me for hey to be associated with the star mm -hmm. that I can't go back. And you also have the idea of hey as a window through which you can see the sky and, and the star, yeah. which is something you also see on the, um, on the Crowley card, she's sort of looking across mm. to, um, I think that this is, this is supposed to be zodiac form of Hawkma, yeah, this yep. great purple globe yeah. in the center of the car. So it's almost like she's looking through a window across the abyss. Across, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so that, if you subscribe to Hay, that is the Hawkma Tifereth, um, connection. Yep. And so it means window or sight is the other, um, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the other connection is parallel, uh, lower down on the tree between Netzach and Yesod. And, um, and to me, you know, the, the idea that Netzach is associated with Venus and Yesod with the moon is very appealing as far as those feminine mm -hmm. qualities we attribute to the star. Um, this, uh, this, again, the waters of universal life, um, the moon and Venus. But I know you also mm -hmm. use or are aware of and, and understand the doctrine between the mother and the daughter. So how mm -hmm. do you rec reconcile the divine name aspects of the four letters if, if you put emperor there? Because that's something I could never really... I get a, yeah. I hit my, I hit a mental stopping point when I get to that <laughs> and go... Eh. Yeah, I mean, when I think about the divine name, I think about the feminine qualities of Hay, and I think about the masculine qualities of Yod and Vav, but I don't consider the card names that hard when I'm using mm. that. Um, but I, it's kind of fun to do that too. To if, do that. if you, if, yeah. if you do, that's a really, um, if you do, but neat thing to explore mm -hmm. mentally. Mm -hmm. It is, but the the thing that I use more when I'm thinking about um, Kabbalistic attributions and the star is this idea of tzadi as the fish hook, as the that which reaches uh, for the fish. You know, it's close to death on the lower part of the tree, um, as the the fish hook as something that is a connector between dis the distant and the near. Mm. So we have. You know, the star, as I interpret it, often works as a guiding light mm -hmm. or as yep. something that you navigate towards mm -hmm. uh, interpretationally, whether it's the star of Bethlehem or uh, whether it's your own hopes and aspirations down the line. And to me, the act of like casting the line for the fish mm. is, you know, definitely the triumph but of But to me, the thought experience. of a fish hook is very <laughs> martial. You know, it's got pointy it's arrow got barb and it's used to, to yeah, stick something. I that that I can see it makes that. a lot of sense for Aries and Mars. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I can see that. So, yeah, there's yeah. both yeah. ways. Okay, so a couple of Kabbalah addendums. Um, in In both, actually, the weight star and the uh, Crowley star, there, there's, uh, you know, kind of a pool in the base of the weight card and a, and a kind of a river in the base of the Crowley card that could be a reference to the waters of the moon, Yesod, way down on the tree. Um, if you look in the weight card at the, where that bird of Thoth is representing Netzach and the pool representing Yesod, that could, you know, her posture between those two could support the idea of that path going between Netzach and Yesod. Okay. Yeah. And then when we were talking about um, the star as Nui and Nui as the three veils of nothing, mm -hmm. there's, there's somewhere there's a quote, I think it's in the Book of the Law and in Nui is referred to as Nothing, well, it's kind of an acronym hidden in there. It says nothing under its three forms. Mm -hmm. So if you think of those three negative veils. And if you actually take an acronym of that phrase, nothing under its three. Ah, it's <laughs> Nuit. Nuit. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Which is, is also, kind of, of course, kind of cool. <laughs> French for night. 
Yes. This is the card of the night. And that whole chapter of the Book of the Law, so the first chapter of the Book of the Law is all Nuit uh, speaking, and it's one of the most, some of the most beautiful phrasing you'll ever read. I, yeah, I think it's uh, in Duquette's book, he says something about if you want to know what the star card is all about, just go read the whole first chapter of the Book of the Law, because it's Nuit speaking. But we obviously can't do that here, so um, <laughs> we'll just read my favorite quote. Um, I am the blue-lidded daughter of sunset. I am the naked brilliance of the voluptuous night sky. And I, I just love that. You can picture, you can just picture it. You can just picture it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it's absolutely lovely. Um, and it speaks to that, you know, every man and woman is a star that we're all self-luminous in a way. That's true. Yeah. There's something about that that reminds me of the way, you know, we kindle the spark of hope within us yeah. despite reality, despite everything we see outside. And that's, that becomes our own guiding star. The spark of hope. She's making thunderbolts. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, you know, I think to me, it's, it's important. What's more important to me is that the letters descend down the tree, not that the, you know, which card is associated with it is something that's been negotiated and arbitrary over many generations of occultists. So, you know, I can be okay with different versions of that. I would not be okay with putting hay in a different place on the tree than it no, is. No, right? and, so and he didn't, switch, he didn't do that right, either. It's he in didn't the, do. Right. So, you know, the letters stay in the same place. It's only the card assignation. The card that different. moves to a different path. Yeah. And I, I do like the, the star on that path because then you get the three goddesses all together in a triangle mm. formation. You have the empress, the star, mm -hmm. Well, the lovers, I guess mm -hmm. that doesn't exactly, but I don't know. You get all the goddesses above. You certainly get all the goddesses at the top of the tree. Then you have the priestess, the empress, mm. the star, and mm. um, they're all above. Right. And I think, you know, when you're choosing these, these attributions, you know, you get to, you get to decide what works for you. And I think it comes mm. down to instinctively in terms of interpretation, what, what works best for you and either is legitimate, you know, mm. whatever makes, whatever you can remember and hold on to easily is probably the right choice for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's. But I think in working with the Thothic, it's mm -hmm. yeah. important to use his way yes. in a sense because it's all there in the cards yes. even. And, I would absolutely you know. agree. If you're using Thoth, it's very hard to assign Tzadi to the card because yeah, you have, he, yeah. you have pictures, references all over it. I mean, it's easier if you want to misattribute with the Emperor because, you know, yeah. there's some, some visual, visual matchups, discrepancies some with visual that discrepancies. one, but not so much with this one. With this one, you really have, you know, we can talk about exactly what those references are. Um, to to Hawkman Tiferet in the card, mm. um, you have this uh, as we were saying this idea that the zodiac she's looking at the zodiac right uh huh and she has um, she it's as if she's looking across the abyss mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. looking across so if she if her you know path one of the paths she could be looking up at the. Uh, the path between Hokma and Bina, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and there are references to that in the card with the little pyramids, um, the city of the pyramids behind her on the horizon. See the little mm -hmm. the pyramids mm -hmm. we have here. Yeah, I do uh, see that. Yeah. Bina reference. And then there's references? the, uh, you can see, so the, the big circular form of the zodiac mm -hmm. behind her. And then outside of that form is the seven pointed star of Babylon. So right. it's, it's, so it's almost as it's though almost she's looking far above, the, yeah, above the abyss, kind mm -hmm. of. Um, mm -hmm. That could be a Bina. And uh, Venus is reference. one of the only three cards. It's the only feminine card above the abyss. Okay. Because mm -hmm. we've yeah. got Magus, Fool, and and Empress. Right, right. That's right. Yes, exactly. So it's almost as though the daughter's looking up at the mother. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, there's there's Venus references throughout both cards, which is mm -hmm. part of the reason that 
another connection for me with using the other path because it's connected to Netzach, which yep. is the sphere of Venus. And, you know, there, there are wonderful um, connections between Venus and Saturn uh, throughout this card and throughout um, I feel like we've talked Venus and Saturn in a different There's a card. lot of Mercury in... That's true, too. The Rider weight card, there's the eight-pointed stars and eight, mm-hmm. eight stars in all, one central with seven surrounding. Yes. Um, Which could be the, our sun and the seven planets. Yes, or the Pleiades right. as well. Mm-hmm. There's something I wanted to say about eight... Uh, about that eight-pointed star. Well, we'll we'll get to How it. How many hexagrams are in the I Ching? Is it sixty-four? Um, it might eight be. By Let's eight. check. There's eight stars in the weight card, each with eight points. So that would be a total of sixty-four points. It made me mm-hmm. think of the I Ching. If mm. if that's the mm, number yeah, of so um, combinations there are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there is sort of a in in a in a macro level i think of this as having this card as having a connection with divination generally because you know astrology as Far a divination and yeah tool and looking mm-hmm, ahead looking beyond at yep. patterns yep. kind of a thing but let's let's talk about some of the venus references throughout because i think probably the the goddess that is cognate with venus and the goddess that whose story is often connected with this card is the Astarte or Ishtar or Inanna figure of Sumerian uh, mythology. And for Nuit, of course. <laughs> Nuit, of course. So the story, let's, we should probably tell the story of Inanna. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is, Seven veils. Is that, yeah, she had a sister. She was a sky goddess who had a sister in the underworld whose name was Erish Kigal. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm pronouncing that right, but I don't, don't think get on a- her bad side. <laughs> there's not anyone alive to tell me. So yeah, Erish Kigal, the, the frightful uh, sister of the underworld. And Inanna or Astarte goes to visit her. We don't exactly know why. Um, do you know why? I was looking it up last night. I can't remember what she was asking for, but I think she was going there to ask for a favor. Or was it, did it have uh, something to do with her lover? That's uh, what I thought. Uh, you Dumuzi. know, Dumuzi or Tammuz. I, I was, I've had that same impression in my mind. So we must have gotten it from the same place, but I couldn't figure it out last night when I was trying mm. to look it up. So all I could figure out was that she went I down. I think she, there. she has to go humble herself before her sister to she ask. Does. I think for the, for, for her, Bought either the body or the the spirit. That sounds of the, like ISIS the, um, almost. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. of her. Well, she goes consort. If so you will. the story that I read was interesting because it brings in the consort at the end. She she goes down. She wants to um, get there for whatever reason. Maybe she wants to take over that territory in some way. I've also seen that theory, but she's not allowed in. And the gatekeepers. So the gatekeeper of hell is under instructions not to let her in. And she tells her attendants, her retinue, that if I don't come back, you need to help me out. Because supposedly you go to hell, you can't come back. This makes sense. So she goes there. The gatekeeper says no. But then he gets alternate instructions from Arish Kigal saying you can let her in, but she has to give up some of her raiment. So she's got, she's got veils. She's got necklaces. She's got like all this great stuff that is like her emblems of power. And one by one, she has to give each one up as she goes through the seven gates until she stands naked before her sister. The world's first striptease. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which I just, I just love that uh, connection in here. So she, she goes there and she's. And the star goddess is always shown naked in almost yeah. every deck, even ones that don't do nudity. Exactly. So, so she's, she stands there naked and her sister is pissed that she's come here at all because I've heard in one version, she actually, uh, Astarte goes and sits on the throne and the sister is obviously peeved about that. So she is hung or killed in some oh, yeah. way. 
On a hook. On a hook. On a fish hook. There you go. A meat hook. Yes, exactly. The star on a meat hook. And, uh, and. <laughs> that and sounds awful. It sounds terrible, but, uh, but there she is hung there left to die. But her attendants remember that she's, you know, they, they recognize that she's not back yet. They're worried. And her minister sends two sexless beings, is how it's described, to bring her the water and food of life, to sprinkle mm-hmm. it on her body, and she returns to life, um, which is sort of this Persephone-like yeah. figure, right? Because yep. she returns to life, she leaves the underworld, and she comes out and she recognizes that her ministers have been loyal to her, they have brought her back to life, but Damuzi, or Tammuz, has not. She discovers that that he has been entertaining himself, so uh, to speak. And the deal when you leave the underworld is that you don't get to just leave. Somebody has to take your place. So she sends Tammuz in her place. Uh, that's his punishment. So anyway, that's a colorful, like, you know, People magazine version of this, <laughs> <laughs> of this myth of uh, of Astarte and her, and her seven gates, which is... Also kind of interesting, this mystic number seven is associated with Venus, right? Um, and I like the water and food of life it, being mm-hmm. sprinkled on her. It makes mm-hmm. me think of these two cups. Yeah. And she's yeah, pouring exactly. one on herself and one on, on the earth. Yeah. Right, right. So, and the card is all about renewal, you know? Mm-hmm. The renewal of the earth or the renewal of hope or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But again, this, um, this, this association of the seven, uh, reminds me of the seven gates of hell is like the seven palaces of Asiya, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a reference that, uh, is, is a little far deep into Golden Dawn tradition. But, um, the idea was that when the Sephirot were broken, you have the husks, they're called the clipoth that be the shells. Yeah, the shells that form the sort of anti sephirot and there are seven of those which you can see in your seven of discs card, right? Yes. Yeah. So um yeah, this was a, a little obsession of mine a couple of years ago. I remember hitting you up for all sorts of palaces of Asia references. So so again, this number seven to me is sort of fortifies the connection with Netzach, you know, and mm-hmm. the and that particular path. But, uh, but seven is the number of Venus and seven is the number of stars in the weight card. Um, it's the number of points on the star in the, um, Crowley card, right? So star of Babylon up there. Mm-hmm. So what's the connection between Babylon and seven? Well, on her emblem, she has the seven pointed star with the, the seven in every corner, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. It's, she does. It, and that's a number that's it, sacred to her, right? Yeah. All these goddess cards, they're almost like different aspects of the same, of the same, of the same thing. Feminine. You know, yeah. Babylon is a form of Nuit in a sense, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Nuit would be the original kind of higher form, whereas the more corporal, earthy mm-hmm. form would be Babylon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we have the the connections between the various goddesses of love, beauty, desire. Right, you get the, all the mm-hmm. cards with the goddess cards and the empress, you know, the Venus right. card. Um, right. So it's really interesting to think of this card sort of in, in comparison to empress. They're all forms of Nuit, mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. The priestess. The, yeah. You know, they're, they're, yeah. Priestess, the lady of the silver star there, you know? Right, right. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's interpretationally sort of a difference in the way we view the goddess, you know, in a reading, you know, whether the empress has more of a maternal quality and the star has more of a, you know, anima quality or something. I think, I yeah, know. I think, I think Crowley referred to the empress as the wife and which one was the mother? You would think it would be the Empress, but there was another card. It might have even been the star as the mm-hmm. mother. Mm, and then, um, yeah, the, uh, mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. the, I think he calls the star the mother and the Empress the wife. So that points mm. to a more mundane, yeah. in a sense. Um, yeah. Closer to, closer to Earth, yeah, you closer know. Closer to Earth a little bit. Yeah. Right. Venus yeah. says being ruler of Taurus, which is more of an earthy. Right. Also Libra, but, but also Libra. Yeah. She hmm. seems very earthy in a sense, you know. Right. Yeah. So, um, as far as stars go, there's always the question of, um, seven or eight points, <laughs> mm. seven or eight stars, you know, right. And seven has its 
own certain um, symbolism because of Venus. And also because if you, uh, if you will definitely have to put a diagram up about the, the acute heptagram of seven, because Mm -hmm. if you place a planet on each point, if Mm -hmm. you go around the edge, you get get an order of the descending order, um, Chaldean order, which gives us the, you know, Saturn, Jupiter, the speed of the planets based yeah. on relative mm-hmm. orbital speed. Exactly. So, and then if you go across, but if you, go, if you point, follow the points, yeah, you get the days, days of, of the, the week, week which, which is, is cool. absolutely fascinating. Yep. So that's something I always like to look at with, with this particular arrangement. Um, so it, it, the descending order, I feel like we should do this. The, the descending order goes Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Sun. Venus, Mercury, Mercury moon. moon, right, in order from apparent, apparent uh, speed from, yeah. from, from the Earth. And the seven, mm-hmm. the seven stars around a central one or the seven pointed star, mm-hmm. you know, can refer to the entire tree because it's all the seven planets. And mm-hmm. then you have the, above that, you have the, you know, zodiac mm-hmm. and the, what is it? The primal mobile of the yes, fool. That's right. And yeah. then, um, yeah. Malkuth at the end. And then you've got the whole entire tree. And mm-hmm. I've heard Nui referred to as, well, the star card and Nui mm-hmm. being referred to as the three veils. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are the, the three veils of nothingness around, <laughs> you know, from which mm-hmm. descend into Keter and the first point. Um, and if you think about her as the overarching, the overarching sky, you can kind of see that mm-hmm. th- there's a definite connection with, you know, Nui as infinite expansion and those, in those three veils. And there's also that connection between the star and the fool that we, sh- we should read that thing from the wake world oh, about yeah. the thunderbolts where she's making thunderbolts because thunderbolts, um, are a reference to the letter Aleph. The shape right. of a thunderbolt. And in, in a lot of the descriptions, if you look in book T, like what this car sh- card should look like, mm-hmm. it says that her attitude suggests a swastika. And again, the swastika is that shape mm-hmm. of a thunderbolt, kind yes. of like an aleph. Yes. So there's a definite connection, um, between those two cards. And what's even cooler is the, the swastika, form is also what's known as a hermetic cross or a file thought. file thought. yeah yeah okay. uh yeah. cross and file thought phil thought i don't has, know how to yeah, say it i don't it. know how to say yeah. it either um i could probably spell it but fyl fot yep. you can google um, it <laughs> yeah so um but that if you look at one of those it's 17 squares and that's the number of oh, the that's star really card. Cool. Yes, because you have the central square in the middle, and then yeah, four and then on the each. arms. Yeah, and that right. adds up to seventeen squares. Right. So there's a definite connection between the swastika, the aleph, the thunderbolt, right? The fool and the star. There's something right. going on there. It's such a shame that you know the swastika is such an interesting ancient symbol, and it's such a shame that it was perverted I know, in it the was, Nazi it, era. It is a shame because it's actually a beautiful solar a beautiful symbol, symbol of a uh, spiraling solar force. Yeah. Okay. So Wake World, you were saying, is a fiction that Crowley wrote from the perspective of a young girl on her journey through the tree. Right, her journey of waking up, um, and he, she encounters along the way each of the paths and, and this is, this is what was said about the path of the star card. All I shall tell you is, there was the most beautiful goddess that ever was, and she was washing herself in a river of dew. If you ask what she is doing, she says, I'm making thunderbolts. It was only starlight, and yet one could see quite clearly, so don't think I'm making a mistake. Wonderful. And there it is right in the car. She's washing herself. In a river yeah. of dew. And if you in look at both dew. cards, they they actually do adhere to that whole the attitude or bodily posture being in the shape of you can mm-hmm. imagine the shape of that, you know, hermetic mm-hmm. cross of the, mm-hmm. the arms and legs in sure thing. that kind of twist. Yeah. yeah. Now um now, so we've talked about this seven connection, but we should also talk about the eight connection because 17, of mm. course, uh, reduces to eight. Yep. And the eight point star is also significant, um, because it is, um, 
it it's the star of Lakshmi is an eight point star. And also mm. I believe, I think I read somewhere that the star of another goddess, it may have even been uh, Astarte herself is an eight point mm-hmm. star. Yeah, I think it was mm-hmm. Astarte as an eight point star. So, you know, Lakshmi being a, a goddess of fortune and destiny. So there's sort of that aspirational quality to the, to the card. Um, and then, just the reference to Astarte herself. And then, of course, whenever we have eight points, we think compass. We yep. think navigation, cardinal right. or intercardinal points. And we think, you know, here's the guiding light of the star that we follow, just as we follow a, right. a lodestone or a compass. Mm-hmm. So that seems significant as well, as uh, as well as this possible connection with Hode um, Mercury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of Mercury, um, yeah. more so in the Rider weight, um, mm-hmm. the ibis in the tree. That's yes. a, a mercurial um, thing, I think. Yeah, so the tree is perhaps uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or um, and the bird upon it would be has been referred to as the ibis or the bird of thoth. Mm-hmm. That's a mercurial thing. Yeah, and this card is, it's, the star is, you know, it's a, both sun and stars are self-luminous. They're not reflecting the light mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, like the planets reflect the light of the right. sun, but the sun and the stars are self-luminous. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about that, that the star is just a sun or the sun is just a star. Um Right, right. I don't know where I'm going with this other than that Mercury is always a companion of the sun. And so there's a little, maybe mm-hmm. there, that's why there's so mm-hmm. much Mercury in, yeah, maybe in so. the card. And of course, you know, and you were talking about, you know, if you look at, uh, the path of the star as being above the abyss or, you know, up by hay, then, um, then you can see in the distance, you might be seeing Bina or, you know, mm. see Chakma, but you could be, if you're looking at it as the lower path, you might see that as Hode as being nearby just across the way. So that's easier to do with the Rider Waite Smith card again to use that path, uh, as opposed to the Crowley one. We've got the three roses oh, in, the three um, roses the, in the Crowley card. The Crowley card, um, again, could be Bina, Malkuth, mm-hmm. or even Venus, the Rose of Venus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, so the, the, the roses are kind of hard to see. So. Yeah, they're in the right hand corner. Lower right hand corner, just sort of, um, right against the edge of the card, sort of, uh, delineating the lower right edge of the card. You can see those three roses we're talking about. And then the butterflies above that. Ah, right. So Another that, there's an air. Symbol reference. of air. Yeah. Right. In spirit. Air is, <laughs> air as spirit. Mm hmm. Because mm-hmm. I think there's something in this card about the the eternal process of renewal of spirit, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. either, either reincarnation itself or on a symbolic level. This this also sort of reminds me of the mikvah, the ritual bath in Judaism when, you know, you've gone through your moon time, you're purifying yourself, and then you come out renewed. Oh, um... One thing we didn't talk about so much is the associated minor cards. Uh, oh, yeah, Aquarius. That's, yeah, those, yeah, that's fun. So, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting because we have, um, defeat, science, and futility. That <laughs> one of my problems with, with the hermetic tradition is those names are so, you know, strangely negative in a way, defeat and futility. And yet those cards, you know, aren't necessarily so bad. Yeah. And science being the mediator, you know, mm-hmm. the point of balance between those two mm-hmm. states, right? you know, the, the five, six and seven, the six being, you know, mm-hmm. Tiferet and the point of harmony and beauty and balance mm-hmm. where on either side, the five or the seven year on Unba- right. The al- unbalanced right. side of and the that's, tree. <laughs> that's the the reference. Um, the five in particular, you know, being a number of Givora is considered the reason why, you know, this card of Venus, this card of Aquarius, which should be a peaceful, gentle card is like the... the Getting uh, a bit battered there. Right. And I think Duquette calls it being in the bad neighborhood, being in the rough neighborhood. And, yeah. you know, and you use those... Uh, the raven and the dove, this idea that of the peaceful versus the, the rapacious. Yes. And, you know, really the rapacious getting the better of 
uh, of the um of the peaceful instinct in that card I'm right there's there's yeah. times and places where being a pacifist probably is not your best course of action or at least you should take evasive maneuvers evasive like maneuvers. in the 7 <laughs> right right you know in the 6 i think it's particularly mercury, yeah, mercury, mercury and, and, aquarius. and aquarius again that that reference to mercury and hode possible exaltation depending possible exaltation and this idea that um in the weight card in particular there it's the thing that gets you from point a to point b it gets you out of trouble reasoning your way using the mental faculties to to find right. your way it seems to me like a very good combination of mercurial intellect and the distance right. and guidance and navigation of the star. The inner genius. Exactly. And I think you were the one who pointed out to me that in the Crowley card in science, there's fencing diagrams, yeah. in it, which is, you know, I have a son who's a fencer. It's an exceedingly mental um, activity where you're always trying to anticipate your opponent's next move and you know, especially in his weapon, which is a very fast one, you're committed to the action before you even do it. So you're constantly ahead of the game thinking, I don't know, there's like the reaching of the star and the fish hook for the next move uh, in my mind, you know, with that, with mm. that action. Or if you like, looking through the window into the future, you know, the window of, hey, you can look at it that way too. But then with the seven, this is a very dear card, to me because it's moon and Aquarius. My moon is in that deckhand. And mine too. But yours, not yours my, my, my moon's deckhand. not in that deckhand, but I have moon and Aquarius you have moon as and well. Aquarius. Which deckhand is yours? In? It's uh the middle one. Actually. The middle one. Oh you yeah. oh lucky you. <laughs> I mean I love the I love that uh that second deckhand of and of Aquarius, but I've spent a lot of time trying to to get a better feeling about that moon and Aquarius seven of swords thing. And to me, there's a resourcefulness about that card. The, um, I think Austin Kopic talks about it as being uh, a position where uh, the moon is comfortable as an exile in other territories. So to me, again, that's that feeling of the, of travel and openness to foreign lands that mm. we get in Aquarius. Uh, where, you know, you go someplace and yet you remain the same, you know, you remain, you're able to make your home in a strange place, uh, which, uh, I actually associate the Seven of Swords with Odysseus, with the travels of Odysseus and his ability to craft a way. Actually, I think my moon mm -hmm. might be just of, cro just be crossing into the third decan. So I might be oh, in that one right. as well. I'm trying to, mm -hmm. uh, remember if you it's 19 or 21 degree. <laughs> uh, it's, it's either, it's yeah, right on the cusp, right there, on the of, cusp uh, there of science and futility. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I call the seven of swords the card of the divided mind. And, you know, that's again, that sort of like speaks to both the skill of being able to think one thing and do another at the same time, but also, the possibility of great distraction and not being able to do anything at all, which is where the I can relate comes to that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you know, so the star can be your guiding light, but it can also be an ignis fatuus. <laughs> I like the um in the Crowley card, all the curved lines becoming straight lines. Yes. You know, I th just think that's like the, the, the lines ab above are, have more curve to them. And then the lower they go, the more, the more they straighten out kind of thing. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So like, yeah. Like matter forming or, mm -hmm. you know, and it's also the idea of what is constantly changing, seeming from our point of view to be a straight line. So it's, you know, destiny goes in a straight right. line apparently to us, and yet it is constantly in motion. Yep. And you also see that in the six of swords and the weight card, the turbulent waters going into the straight waters. I think uh, the card is like all possibility, but yet unformed and in the process of forming. That's mm -hmm. why it's so hopeful because, you know, yeah. kind of like an anything can happen if you, the whole mind over matter thing, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's like, if you imagine what it was, would be like in pre GPS times following the star, the star remains there. So you, you can get to it. It's always, you know, in the your beacon. mind, but you must find your way to it. You have absolute freedom to go wherever you will. And yet you have this fixed point, this goal in your mind. And then when I think of 
the star too. I think of the morning and evening star being Venus in her mm-hmm. her positions. So mm-hmm. Another Venusian kind of oh, reference, yes. you know. And actually, ah, this is this is something I can't believe I didn't think of before. You know, the transition when Venus transitions from morning from evening star to morning star, it's as if she's making that passage into the, the journey. Yes, it's yeah, star stage yep. journey journey where she's, you know, doing this thing that's incredibly arduous and difficult and then she's reborn again at the end again at the end as the morning star right yeah yeah it's- and the fact that this follows the tower it's you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. having gone through that ordeal. yeah having gone through an ordeal <laughs> and coming through on the other side i think um in dante's inferno you know he goes through the purgatory and the infernos and at mm-hmm. the first thing he sees when he emerges is the starry sky <laughs> That's great. And it's interesting that we've done, um, we, we tend to do our recordings in sets of three. So we did the devil, the tower, the star, and all of these, you know, there's this motion through the underground, right? So you have yeah. the, the hell of the presided over by the devil, the jaws of Dees in the tower. And now we have the star, the emergence, the emergence from the, uh, from the seven gates of hell, the emergence and the renewal. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Right, right. In the Crowley card, it's interesting too because you see the the star of Babylon up in the left hand corner, and the the mirror image of that is rotating in the other direction. See how one's rotating um, uh, clockwise and one's rotating ca- counterclockwise. Oh, yeah. You mean the one that's in the zodiac and the one that's in the upper in the left? cup? Yeah, right. Because yep. yeah. yeah. Uh, um, wait, show me what you're, you're so, looking at this. Yeah. Then. So one, okay. one to me looks like it's rotating in this direction and this one looks like it's rotating in the oh, other, right. in the other direction. It does direction. look like that. It does look like that. And, um, it makes me think of the universe card where she's often seen twirling the, um, opposing the two spirals that go, uh, yeah, they're sort of doing. There's a description in book T, I think it calls her juggling the, not juggling, but, um, with the, Dextro and Dexter and Sinister. Uh, yeah, so they, it a, uses a different word for it. Dextro and yes, yeah, Levo, Levo, something. Yes, yeah, force something the two like forces, that. the two, but it's the two spiral forces going in opposite directions. So it's like kind of a northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere Coriolis effect kind of thing. So, yeah, going on so that here. could be another um, reference to if it is a reference to the universe card. That mm-hmm. would be another Bina. Um, mm-hmm reference mm-hmm. and also well. i'm just noticing that you know um be tr- in the upper left and then again in the in the zodiacal sphere we have the obtuse heptagram and this and the acute heptagram mm. so there's those two aspects as well all right on to natural correspondences yeah okay and colors and colors oh colors right colors so oh i love the colors beautiful colors mm-hmm. violets and um blues mauve uh, sky blue, I think violet is the king scale, sky mm-hmm. blue, mauve, and then a white with a tinge of mauve or a tinge of purple. Right, right, which is just, she was extremely, extreme fidelity yes, in the, uh, very much in so. the Crowley card. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So I have the eagle written down here, which, which we think of as scorpionic, but is also, um, associated with Aquarius, mm-hmm. um, if you think of the story of Ganymede, the cupbearer and the eagle, um, it also, how did, if, how did that go? So, uh, Zeus's cupbearer gets, I think, struck down and the eagle catches him or something mm, like that. But, so, um, the bird of Zeus. It's in that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's in that mm-hmm. section. But, um, Rexy Bill has a book on, um, rulerships and it's terrific. W- I, I love it. It's like a little encyclopedia of correspondences and, mm-hmm. You can find relationships between Aquarius and birds of prey. In general, large birds or birds of prey, and mm-hmm. the eagle certainly mm-hmm. qualifies. Right, which is why you put them on your uh, five of swords, the uh, mm. Venus and Aquarius. And that book is the rulership book by Rex E. Bills. And if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you want that book. <laughs> Uh, also, I've seen from the same book, um, the peacock, the olive, olive branch of peace, I guess, uh, moss and fruit trees, which is interesting. The moss in particular, um, because I, um, associate, uh, the, 
the perfume that I made for Aquarius, I made it a fougere, which is, which means fern in French, which traditionally has patchouli, oak moss, and bergamot mm. in it. I would think lichen more than moss for Aquarius, but. Because of the, um. Because it's growing up off the ground on a tree generally, mm, and it's, it's, it, it's right. in air and in medicine, it's often good for the lungs. Oh, that's so interesting. So breathing yeah, in air. I can see um, that. Well, moss for me has to do with sort of the idea that the watery side of Aquarius, it's flowing next mm, to a riverbank, you know, mossy moist. Rocks, yeah. <laughs> so I actually, um, You've smelled Aquarius before. I think I made a natural version for you, but if you want to give the uh, Streams of Stars perfume a sniff, I like that one mm. a lot. It's got a lot of lavender and um, sandalwood as well as the oak moss, other fougere ingredients. Um, but the it also has a drop of galbanum because galbanum is, of course, what we associate with air perfumes. So I will grab the... The oily, grassy galbanum, which you probably smelled at least two times before. But, but I like it, so I'll smell nice. it again. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah has that, I like that one. Yeah, it's it's got a grassy, bitter quality to it. That's um, There's there's something about it that reminds me of... Anyway, so that's galbanum. And let's see. Uh, there are... We also have some... Um, I wrote down a few natural references to like... Uh, amethyst and crystal and quartz, which all makes sense, you know. Pretty that. colors, white and purple. Pretty yep. colors, white and purple. And also, there's something about the resonance of quartz that seems to go with this, right? Yep. You know, the yep. way quartz picks up whatever. And the protective vibration. quality of it and the light. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. The clarity. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And the fact that you use quartz components in, <laughs> in sound equipment <laughs> seems sort of, <laughs> yeah. sort of apt to me yeah. somehow, you know. And the idea of quartz is a, you know, you use it in watches. It's a timekeeper, Saturn. Interesting. Yes. I know. Okay. So, um, so the, the, the absolutic path, uh, color is violet. violet and it's almost at the end of the scale. So, um, we're all the way up from C, D, E, F sharp, G sharp, then A sharp is the color associated with violet. Uh, in the musical scale. So we've talked about a bunch of things with the star. It's such a, such a really rich and complicated card. Um, cause it's easy to read on the surface. We first, you know, a lot of people first use the idea of hope and that's, mm. that's great. But it's also when you unpack that and look at the symbolism and really read into it, hope is also, you know, associated with fertility. Um, freedom, mm. uh, things of Aquarius. Freedom is a watchword yes. of Aquarius. Oh yeah. Mm. Don't tell me what to do now. <laughs> this is our Aquarian moon speaking. Yeah. Here. I have, I have a lot <laughs> of Aquarius in my chart. Uh, and the idea of, um, navigating far distances, um, networks of, um, friends and acquaintances in the mm. 11th house, I guess. Um, the idea of, Nakedness and your true self. Mm. Um, the ultimate feminine, you know, mm -hmm. the star, if you think of the star as Nuit and Nuit being the first form or ultimate form of all the goddess cards, mm -hmm. just like the male cards, the god cards are all forms of Hadit mm. in a sense. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so I hope that we've been able to expand some of the definitions you use for this card as usual. Um, and, and we will be back next time with the moon. <laughs>